thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and we are on the doorstep of spring training. Pitchers and catchers have officially reported. Players are coming within a day or two, and it's happening. We are getting into the 2021 baseball season, and I'm going to be here for all of it. I am so excited. Spring training, as we're sitting here blanketed in snow, the start of spring training is the signal, better than Groundhog's Day, that spring is coming, that uh, summer is on the way, the days are getting longer, it's going to warm up, and we are going to be back to enjoying baseball before you know it. So I do, if if you're new to the show, I do cover... I do an episode after every game in the regular season. And it was a lot, but it was during a pandemic. And uh, we had nothing to do. We were all stuck inside. So it felt like a good idea to do a podcast every morning. I'm going to try to keep up with it again this season and do a podcast the morning after every game. However, I'm not insane. I'm not going to be covering every spring training game. Spring training games are aren't that interesting. There aren't as many storylines as in the regular season. So I think I will probably do a weekly episode uh, throughout spring training. And we'll cover some of the storylines that go on that week in spring training, battles that are going on for positions, things that are going on with pitchers, their their development, their, uh, you know, their preparation for the regular season. So I think that's the plan going to be moving forward once these games start against the Reds. I believe February 28th is the first game against the Reds. So there's so much to cover. We've got big MLB news with mega deals going down. We've got non-roster invitees to talk about. And most importantly, we've got an outfield to talk about. And that's kind of where the title of this episode comes from because... Uh, Two of those non-roster invitees, Billy Hamilton and Ben Gamble, really, really cloud the picture in the outfield uh, heading into the spring. So we thought we kind of knew what was going to happen with Eddie Rosario, definitely locked into one of the spots, some of these young guys battling for positions, but now it's even murkier. Now there's there's a, so many faces and so many pieces and so many ways this can turn out. So we are going to get into the outfield situation. But first, uh, just going to go in the order. I have so many tabs open on my computer for this episode. And we're just going to go in order. The big news, the big MLB news, is that Fernando Tatis Jr. just got handed a mega deal. An absolute mega deal. A 14-year, $340 million contract for the very young Fernando Tatis Jr. And of course, Indians fans, the minute we saw that news go down, we could not help ourselves from reflecting on our own phenom shortstop who very recently was the face of the franchise, Francisco Lindor. And... This is what we wanted for Lindor, right? When Lindor came up, when we drafted him, we knew that that one day he was going to be the face of the franchise. He was going to be our star player. And we would have loved a contract with this kind of length. We would have loved to see our star player locked up for 14 years and basically 
been handed the face of the franchise status because it's something you don't see very often. You don't see it very often in Cleveland. You don't. I mean, the last the last person that could really hold the title of face of the franchise. I mean, LeBron, but he's left us twice. Uh, I don't know, Bernie Kosar? Is that the last person that's really stuck around for a while? I guess Omar Vizquel maybe in the 90s? Kenny Lofton, but then he was gone and came back. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pinpoint someone who's been the face of the franchise for a Cleveland team for their most of their career, for an extended run of their career. And we thought Lindor had a chance to do it. And now Fernando Tatis Jr. has a chance to do it in San Diego with the Padres. And we're seeing this more and more. Mike Trout, obviously, with the Angels. He's locked in as the face of that franchise. Uh, I heard rumblings that Soto in the Nationals, they're looking at an extension like this for him. So I think we are going to start to see it from... Uh, from the franchises that have the money to do it in baseball. They're going to make players uh, the face of the franchise. Now, will it backfire on some teams? Will it Will it come back to haunt? Not backfire, but um, will it put them in a financial situation that they can't get out of, like the Colorado Rockies, where they just had to trade Nolan Arenado, who they signed to one of these contracts. And they just had to trade him to St. Louis. So we'll see these Tatis Jr. contracts, these Trout contracts, you know, whatever happens with Soto, we'll see where they end up if they do stay their entire career with these teams, like these contracts are intended for them to do. So I wanted to compare Lindor and Tatis Jr. based on their first two seasons, because Tatis Jr. has only played, I mean, with the shortened pandemic season, basically uh, not even... He hasn't even gotten into 162 games yet. He's only played 143 Major League games. Uh, so com- I wanted to compare, and I actually found a great website, Stathead Baseball, um, stathead.com forward slash baseball. It looks like they pull in data from uh, Baseball Reference. Uh, it definitely looks like their kind of numbers. And as you start to look at these websites, you can really start to see the difference between Fangraphs and Baseball Reference and StatCast, their different websites, and the way they look at data. But it's to compare two players. So I selected Francisco Lindor's first two years and Fernando Tatis Jr.'s first two years. And uh, Lindor did have over 100 more games. He had uh, you know, over 500 more plate appearances, but the numbers actually tend to lean in Fernando Tatis Jr.'s favor. Uh, I mean, some of the traditional ones, hits, Lindor had way more hits. But the batting averages are similar. 306 batting average to 301 for Fernando Tatis Jr. Power, remember Lindor didn't really discover his power until a few seasons in. Uh, He only has 27 home runs in his first two seasons. Tatis has 39 home runs in his first two seasons. Tatis almost catches him on RBIs, 98 to 129. Uh, Almost catches him on stolen bases, 27 to 31. Uh, Does have more strikeouts, 171 to Lindor's 157. But uh, the slugging percentage is way higher for Fernando Tatis Jr. He's at a 582 slugging percentage to Lindor's 454. His OPS, 
which is combined the slugging percentage and the on-base percentage, is much higher. Fernando Tatis Jr. is at a 956 OPS. Lindor was at an 810. And when you compare them to league average, which is the OPS plus, where league average is set to 100, Fernando Tatis Jr. over his first two seasons is at 154 OPS plus. Lindor is at 112. So I gotta say, if you were, if you, if you took, if you put blinders on as, you know, and took yourself away from being a Cleveland Indians fan, and a hundred years from now, you just look back at these two players and say, which one would you give the mega deal to? I think you actually might be leaning towards Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, looking at some of the more advanced stats, uh, Lindor does have more war. He did accumulate more war um, than Fernando Tatis Jr. He's at 9.1 war, where Fernando Tatis was at 7 war. Um, Win probability added. Win probability added is higher for Fernando Tatis Jr. at 3.5. For Lindor, it was only at 1.1. So, yeah, I, I think there is definitely some data here that says Fernando Tatis Jr., deserved a mega contract like this compared to Lindor. Uh, it, it, you know, obviously, obviously we wanted Lindor to get this big contract, right? We all wanted a big contract that kept Lindor in Cleveland for a few years. But you can kind of see from the data uh, that Fernando Tatis Jr. did more in his first two seasons. And that's, uh, and obviously... You cannot compare ownership. Look, we should just make it a generalization on the show that the Dolans are cheap. We know the Dolans are cheap, and we are stuck with them as owners. They run a good organization. They put smart people in place. They are dedicated to keeping the team in Cleveland and Cleveland baseball, so we will give them credit there, but they are really, really playing money ball here with us and playing cheap and trying to be the smartest people in the room, and it... As far as everyone on Indians Twitter is concerned, it, it feels like uh, there is some real negativity in this town going into this season because of that, because of the way the only strictly because of the way the Dolans handle things. So that's comparing Lindor and Tatis Jr., which got me thinking, let's compare Lindor and Jose Ramirez. So we got a much bigger data set here for the two of them. So I went 2015 to 2020. So line up the time that they played together. Ramirez was here for a few years before Lindor. Remember, he bounced around as a possible super utility guy. Was he going to be the stopgap shortstop before Lindor came up? So Ramirez is a year older than him in all this. But it's pretty similar numbers. Lindor hit leadoff a lot. So he does. he did rack up a few more plate appearances. Then Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez also had a few injuries, so he has a few less games. Remember the broken hand that kept him out for a month? So uh, we're looking at uh, 777 games for Lindor, 745 for Jose Ramirez. About 400 more plate appearances for Lindor. And, uh, man, things are tight. Things are really tight here when you're looking at the traditional numbers. Lindor has 138 home runs. Jose Ramirez has 125, but RBIs, Jose Ramirez has 420 RBIs to Lindor's 411. Stolen bases, Jose Ramirez has more, 117 to 99. Strikeouts, Lindor has way more strikeouts, 496 strikeouts. Jose Ramirez, 
367. Batting average is only three percentage points off. 285 for Lindor, 282 for Jose Ramirez. All right, the OPS. Let's look at the big numbers. OPS goes to Jose Ramirez. 865 OPS to 833 for Lindor. And the OPS plus setting it against league average, 117 for Lindor, 126 for Jose Ramirez. Looking at some of the more advanced stats, uh, when it comes to war, Lindor's got them. 287 war to 265 for Jose Ramirez. Uh, But then when you look at win probability added, 5.8 for Francisco Lindor, 9.1 for Jose Ramirez. So with all these numbers, who are you giving the mega deal to? I, I It, it kind of has me leading to, leaning towards Jose Ramirez. I mean, strike is out way less. Uh, the win probability added is way higher. And obviously, win probability added more. It's just different ways of kind of looking at how much did this individual contribute to the team, right? So if you are a big fan of war, if you're a big fan of win probability added, you're leaning one way or another here. Uh, I do think this is interesting. If we go all the way down to postseason numbers, Lindor has definitely performed more on the bigger stage than Jose Ramirez. He's batting 263 in the postseason. Ramirez is only hitting 213 in the postseason. Now, remember, this is from 26. They didn't make the postseason to 2015. So 2016 to 2020, which they've been in it every year except for 2019. And uh, Lindor has five homers, 12 RBIs. Ramirez has only one home run in the postseason and only eight RBIs. So, yeah, it's uh, his OPS for Jose Ramirez in the postseason is 572 for Lindor at 790. Yeah, that's the stark difference. Uh, Lindor has definitely performed better in the postseason on the big stage than Jose Ramirez has. And maybe that's why, I mean, that's a very good reason why in all these like top 100 lists and MLB network is doing right now, Lindor gets ranked slightly higher than Ramirez. They're pretty close to each other. I think they were both in the teens uh, on the top 100 from MLB network when they released those, but they're always really close. But maybe that postseason, because some of these national writers get to see Lindor on the big stage perform a little better than Jose Ramirez has. So... Those are my player comparisons. You decide who you would give the mega deal to, right? I'm kind of leaning towards, I understand Fernando Tatis Jr., and then I'm kind of leaning towards Jose Ramirez over Francisco Lindor. I mean, arguably, Jose Ramirez has been, and we just told you, through win probability added, arguably been the better player over those last six seasons. So uh, let's move into some Indians news here because... uh, First off, speaking of non-roster invitees, uh, I want to give a shout-out to my boy Tyler Naquin, who just got invited to spring training with the Reds on a non-roster invite. And uh, he's got a crowded outfield there in Cincinnati. He's going he's gonna to have to put the work in. There's basically four guys I can guarantee are going to be on the team for the Reds. Akiyama, uh, Castellanos, Senzel, and Winker. So those definitely four will be locked in. Uh... Aquino is like their big prospect who who is on their 40-man roster. And who knows if he'll break camp with the team or if they'll manipulate his service time and keep him in AAA for a month. So there's two other guys, Scott Heineman and Mark Payton, who I don't know anything about. Uh, 
Uh, so yeah, so Lindor, or not Lindor, uh, Tyler Naquin is going to have some competition out there to try to make this team. Uh, but Naquin is still young enough that they could probably just keep him at AAA and bring him up if they need him. So will we see Naquin in the battle for in the Ohio Cup come, what, probably May, I'm guessing they play each other? Always seems to be May. Will we see Tyler Naquin facing the Cleveland Indians, getting some revenge? I texted my brother. I'm like, you know he's going to go like, 10 for 12 with three home runs if he has to face us. So we'll see if he gets a shot in the uh, southern end of the state. Uh, but the Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Indians have some non-roster invitees. And there's some names we got to talk about here. Uh, so here are the list of non-roster invitees. In the pitchers, there's a lot. Kyle Dowdy, Anthony Ghost, Ghost, uh, Heath Hembry, DJ Johnson, Blake Parker, who is someone we just signed. Oliver Perez gets another shot. Nick Sandlin and Brian Shaw gets another shot. Speaking of guys getting another shot. Uh, catchers, Gavin Collins and Bo Naylor. Bo Naylor probably isn't going to break camp with the team, but it is fun that he gets to be in camp with his brother, Josh Naylor. And uh, who knows? Who knows? When brothers get together, uh, things get competitive, right? Things get intense. So... Does Bo push his brother, you know, to be the best that he can be? Does that competition fuel a really great season for both of them? You put me and my brother in a room together, it's going to get competitive. So uh, I understand if uh, this is kind of a savvy move here to invite Bo Naylor to camp and to give him experience because the theory is he is the future at catcher and he can hit and he can really hit as far as the scouting reports go. Uh, on the infield, Mike Freeman. Yes, they brought back Mike Freeman. Tyler Freeman, that's the exciting one. And Owen Miller is exciting, who they got from San Diego. So two exciting infield prospects. Mike Freeman just feels like a comfort, you know. Same thing with Oliver Perez, right? It's just comfortable. You know, he's been here. I'm sure Terry Francona, he's probably a Terry Francona guy at this point. Um I really hope Mike Freeman doesn't make the team. I'd rather see that roster spot go to other players, but his versatility can't be denied. And then we've got Ben Gamble and we've got Billy Hamilton. And this leads us into our conversation about outfielders because Ben Gamble and Billy Hamilton join a really crowded outfield in spring training. You also have listed as outfielders Jake Bowers, Daniel Johnson, Jordan Luplo, Oscar Mercado, Josh Naylor, Fermil Reyes, Eddie Rosario, and Bradley Zimmer. Now, if we're going to pencil Eddie Rosario in as the starter in one of these corner outfield spots, it leaves two spots for a lot of players. And first base also clouds things because remember, competing at first base, you've got Bobby Bradley. You've got possibly Nolan Jones. Heck, I, I bet Ahmed Rosario even gets a chance to compete a little bit at first base. If Cesar Hernandez is locked in at second, and if they really give Andres Jimenez, the new shortstop, young shortstop from the Mets, a chance to open with the club, then Ahmed Rosario was kind of stuck in this utility role. He's only played shortstop in his career, but he is a little bit taller, six foot two. Could he be moved to first base? Uh, give a really good glove at first base and uh, keep him in, you know, as a super utility guy. So you got those guys competing for first base. You got Jake Bowers in the mix at first base. You've got Josh Naylor in the mix at first base. So that clouds everything. Do Jake Bowers and Josh Naylor get in on the competition in the outfield, 
or are they in on the competition at first base? You know, that's that, that clouds things. And then Jordan Luplo is probably going to make the team, you know, the guy who hits lefties. Everybody kind of thought that he could platoon with Josh Naylor, maybe in right field. So is that platoon still a possibility? And then you've got Daniel Johnson, Oscar Mercado, and Bradley Zimmer, who were all kind of competing maybe for center field, maybe for a left field or right field spot, depending on where you want to lock in Eddie Rosario. There are so many outfield possibilities here. Personally, you know, when Jake Bowers first got signed or first got traded for, I thought, oh, okay, this is a guy we can we can work with. There's some power here, and I just I don't see it anymore. Um, he might have hit his ceiling, his potential, and I never. You don't want to count a guy out who's that young, but I I just I'm more excited as a fan about Daniel Johnson. I'm more excited about Bradley Zimmer, the guy we drafted, I think, with a first round pick. And Oscar Mercado, who showed such potential in 2019 to kind of do everything, be this center fielder that we kind of lock into for a few years. So I'm really more excited about those guys than I am about Jake Bowers. And I guess Josh Naylor, too. I really want Josh Naylor to be a part of this team. I think he's, I, I definitely think he's going to be. Uh, so maybe Jordan Lupo is the guy that uh, has run out of chances here in Cleveland. I don't know what Lupo's contract situation is, but do we need this guy who can only hit left-handers? Do we need it if we have enough other righties? There's a lot of lefties in this in this mix here. Uh, Luplo, Mercado, and Fermil Reyes are the only ones that bat right-handed. So that might be the thing that keeps Luplo around. But yeah, I... I was excited about these younger guys getting their chance, and some of them looked really bad last year. Um, Oscar Mercado and Bradley Zimmer looked completely lost. I mean, completely lost. Like Bradley Zimmer's 6'5". Do they ever give him a chance to play first base? Everybody loves a tall first baseman, and he might be the tallest guy on the team. Let's see. 6'5". Uh, oh, Scott Moss is 6'6". There we go. Sam Hentigas is 6'6". All right. Well, Bradley Zimmer's not starting at center for a pickup basketball team, but he's close. Him and Fermil Reyes are both 6'5". Um, yeah. And then we get Billy Hamilton and we get Ben Gamble in the mix. And Gamble, Gamble's bounced around in his career. Seattle, Milwaukee. Uh, I think there was some time with the, oh, the Yankees. Yeah, a brief stint with the Yankees. Six games with the Yankees. And... He's just meh. He's just a guy. He's never really... His 2020 MLB percentile rankings, this is on StatCast. Um, His hard hit percentage was low. His expected weighted on base percentage was 51%. We are going to get into this in a second with Billy Hamilton. Uh, His expecting batting average was in the 73rd percentile. Uh, He walks a decent amount. He he strikes out a lot too. He spreads the ball all over. Looking at his spray chart, he can hit to kind of all fields. But yeah, his his stats have never popped. Not once has he had like a, an impressive season. His most home runs he's ever hit were eleven for Seattle in twenty seventeen. Uh, his most RBIs were that same year fifty nine. But he also struck out one hundred twenty to- one hundred twenty two times that year. 
His highest batting average was 275. Last year, he had 237. The year before, 248 for Milwaukee. His OPS, his highest OPS was 735. So he's just a kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. They compared him to, uh, on this website, they kind of have uh, similar batters. And guess who they have listed as a similar batter to Ben Gamble? Mike Freeman. Cleveland Indians own Mike Freeman. So do we need another Mike Freeman on the team? You know, I'm all for if they see something that they can turn around and giving a chance to a guy. He's someone I can see fans really getting behind because he's kind of got the caveman look with the long hair and the beard. But um, yeah, nothing nothing about his history says that he's going to light the world on fire playing in progressive field. So it's meh on that. You know, he would I rather see this go to uh, one of the young guys? Yeah, I'd rather see Oscar Mercado or Bradley Zimmer out there than Ben Gamble. Sorry, Ben. Uh, Billy Hamilton. Speaking of Billy Hamilton, this guy, this guy has been incredible his whole career. He is wicked fast. We all know. We saw him in Cincinnati. His sprint speed was in the 97th percentile in 2019, and it was higher even a few years ago. Is he losing a tick of speed? Or guys just coming up that are faster than him? But his expected weighted on base percentage was in the first percentile. That means it was the worst. That means it was one of the worst in baseball. And you're like, expected weighted on base percentage. Just tell me what his batting average was. And you probably don't want to know what his batting average was. His batting average last season was 0.45 in 25 plate appearances for the Mets. And for the Cubs, oh, he actually had 300 in in 10 at-bats for the Cubs. Uh, For Atlanta in 2019 and KC, he hit, for Atlanta, he hit 268. For KC, he hit 211. Uh, But yeah, so this expected weighted on base percentage, it is basically a formula that uses exit velocity, launch angle, and certain types of batted balls and sprint speed to predict what should get someone on base based on uh, where other balls land and stuff like that, uh, where you're expecting the outfielders to line up for this batter. For the exit velocity, the speed the ball's coming off the bat, the launch angle, all of that is taken into account. And they're saying, take out whether uh, he hit it to a really fast outfielder or he hit it to a really slow outfielder, right? Because that would change whether you get a hit or not. Just based on everything this batter does, what should his on-base percentage be? And for Billy Hamilton, they say his on-base percentage should be the worst in baseball. Is this a guy we really want on the team? I don't think so. It, it, Billy Hamilton has always felt more like a, a gimmick player, right? Yes, you can use him as a defensive replacement late in the game. Yes, you can put him on second base uh, in extra innings to try to score that run in extra innings with the new rule. But is that really what we want to waste a roster spot on? I hate this signing. I hate that this temptation is now out there for Terry Francona to keep this guy on his bench like this little utility weapon. I would so much rather see that spot on the bench go to a player that has a real chance to impact the club, who has a real chance 
to turn into an everyday player. I'm sorry, Billy Hamilton has been around for a long time. He's 30 years old. He's played in the majors for a long time for many teams. He's been here since 2013. I don't think anything's going to change. I don't think suddenly he's going to start hitting 280. It's not going to happen. So yeah, so that's the outfield situation right now for the Cleveland Indians. And I so much would rather see these opportunities go to Daniel Johnson, to see these opportunities go to Oscar Mercado. So we'll see. We have some competitions going on in spring training, and it's going to be a lot to watch. How are they going to get at bats for all of these outfielders that they've got in camp, right? How are they going to get at bats and chances at first base for all these guys that could potentially play first base? So, I mean, these first few spring training games are going to be really telling. Does Josh Naylor get a chance at first base? Does Jake Bowers, or are they stuck out there in the outfield, uh, you know, taking fly balls? So, We'll see. Terry Francona's got a lot of decisions to make ahead of him. Speaking of that, he's got decisions to make in the bullpen. One of the new guys that we signed, a name that hasn't been around for the last few seasons, is Blake Parker. We just picked him up. He last played for the Phillies. He's also bounced around. He's who I was thinking of. He played a few seasons for the Angels. He's been around since 2012, came up with the Cubs, has been... A pretty reliable bullpen guy everywhere he's gone. Uh, Last year for the Phillies, he had a 131 whip. He had a 281 ERA in 14 appearances. Um, You know, obviously the numbers from 2020 are a little bizarre. Uh, It's weird. He went the opposite way in uh, 2019. He had a 504 ERA for the Phillies in 23 appearances. But a one whip, that's kind of bizarre how that kind of gets flipped. He, uh, his fastball velocity is low. His fastball spin percentile rankings is low. His curveball spin percentile rankings is low. So this guy doesn't do anything crazy. I can't tell you he throws hard. I can't tell you he has a devastating curveball. Um, but he does get a decent amount of strikeouts. And he has been pretty reliable everywhere he's pitched. So we'll see if he, he's age 35. He's, he's been, like I said, he's been around for a while. We'll see if he gets in the mix here. It was a minor league deal with an invite to spring training and a major league contract with enough incentives to make it a worthwhile deal for him to come here. And he kind of reminds me, watching video on him, he kind of reminds me of Clevenger's windup, where he kind of, he has a ton of movement before he comes set. The way Clevenger used to kind of pump his arms and kind of rock on his legs, that's kind of what Blake Parker does. And then once he comes set and kind of comes to the plate, that kind of reminded me of Cody Allen a little bit. So uh, there's a visual in your head for what Blake Parker pitching looks like. So I think there's a guy based on the amount of incentives they gave him in the possibility of a ma- if he makes it to the majors, I think this is someone that they probably expect to compete for one of these middle relief bullpen roles. Uh, he has saved a few games in his career. He's got 34 saves in eight seasons. Um, so yeah, so that's someone to look out for in the bullpen. And then Oliver Perez. Oliver Perez is going again. He's taking another, another round with the Cleveland Indians. He is 39 years old. He will turn 40 in the middle of the season. In August is his birthday. So he will be turning 40. He's been doing this since 2002. 
I remember back then he was a starter for like the first eight years of his career. He was a pretty decent starter. And then in 2012, he moves to the bullpen. And I'm telling you, he has had some of his best baseball as a Cleveland Indian. Uh, starting at his age 36 season in 2018 when he came to Cleveland, he was dominant in 51 appearances in 2018. He had a 139 ERA. He had a 0.742 whip, and uh, he averaged the most strikeouts per walk of his career, the ratio of strikeouts to walk. The highest up until that point had been 3.4, uh, in the 2015 season, he got it up to 6.4 strikeouts per walk in 2018. And uh, 2019, he was at four. Last year, he slipped a little bit. Last year was not his best year. His uh, his uh, ERA, though, wasn't too bad. He was only at a two ERA. Uh, his whip was at a 1.056. Remember, that's walks, hits per inning pitched. So the data actually shows... Uh, His FIP, his fielding independent pitching, was at a 3.4, which is well below his career average of 4.49. So even last year, he pitched pretty well in 21 appearances. Uh, 2019 wasn't his best. It was at a 3.98 ERA. Things started to creep up on him in 2019. But he got it back together, it looks like, last year. And I know there's chatter out there about, right, Anthony Ghost throws 100 miles per hour. Like, we want to see him in this bullpen. We want this dominant, hard-throwing bullpen with Karen Sheck. And um, we might have that. You you might, you absolutely might have that. And Classe, who throws heat, you might get that. But I think there's room. I think always think there's room for Oliver Perez. I would love to hear what, goes on in the bullpen with Oliver Perez. Has he been mentoring guys for the last three seasons? Is he the guy they turn to when they have questions about a grip or spin or how to get a guy out? Uh, I'd really love to know the impact that Oliver Perez has had on the team the last few years. But he gets another shot at it. So Oliver Perez is in the mix. Blake Parker is now in the mix. Another competition going on. By the way, Blake Parker is a righty. Another competition going on in the Indians' bullpen this spring training. And there should always be a competition going on in the bullpen in spring training. All right. The last thing I want to touch on is uh, the athletic. If you remember, I interviewed Zach Meisel a few months ago, and I had to subscribe to the athletic. Of course, I'm not going to interview the guy and not do my research and read some of his articles. So I still have the dollar a month deal with The Athletic. So I'm keeping up with it. I don't know if I'll keep it. We'll see. Um, But The Athletic is having a Cleveland Indians new name competition. And I'm excited for a new name, a new direction for the franchise. And I'm cool with it. I'm cool with that. Nothing changes the memories you have of the Cleveland Indians for the last you know, however many years, I guess since 26 or since 1916, nothing changes those memories. The 1920 World Series champions will always be the Cleveland Indians. The 1948 World Series champions will always be the Cleveland Indians. Those 90s teams that most of us grew up with, Albert Bell and Manny Marrares and Jim Tomey, they will be the Cleveland Indians. The history doesn't change, but we've reached a point in history 
where that name, it probably never was appropriate to begin with, but that name is no longer appropriate. It is time for a new nickname, and I'm excited for a new direction. So just like in the days of yore, just like they would do uh, a contest in the playing dealer to name the team, the Athletic has jumped on this, and they took, I think, like 240 names that came into them and put together these brackets, and they're doing... Uh, a bracket challenge, a competition, a fan vote to see what the new name of the team should be. And of that 240, they pared it down to a 16-name bracket, and they're going to be going every week and working towards a champion. And uh, there were some names that got cut out of this top 16, and I'm very disappointed that some of these names got cut out. Uh, Some of the names I liked in this list were Blizzard, the Cleveland Blizzard, the Cleveland Rust Belters, the Cleveland Heights. I thought that'd be fun. I think it's an inside joke that maybe only we would understand, but the Heights actually would have been a fun name. The Chapmans, naming it in honor of Ray Chapman. The Midges, come on, what's more fierce than a Midge? It's, they're, they're our allies. We'll never forget the Midge game. Uh, the Lake Effect, the Cleveland Lake Effect works. The Coasters, eh, it's Sandusky, but it's part of our Ohio history. The Cleveland Coasters, and you got the alliteration. And this is the one I love. This is the one I really liked, and I can't believe it got cut. The Cleveland Whitecaps. What a perfect name for the baseball team here. If you've ever been boating in Lake Erie, you know how treacherous and how quickly those Whitecaps. And if you don't know, when a wave gets too big and it crests over, it creates this white foam at the top, and hence the term Whitecaps. If you're a boater and you see Whitecaps out there, you're probably not going boating that day because it means the lake is really rough. And what a better name, baseball. You wear baseball caps. Could you imagine a team that always wore their white caps? Like, it'd be such a cool look. The Cleveland white caps. So we lose out on that chance, at least in the athletic vote. Maybe the Dolans are listening. Um, But here's what they're down to. The Spiders versus the Comets in the 1 versus 16 bracket. Uh, the Red Tails versus the Rocks in the 8 versus 9. The Rockers versus the Clash in the 5 versus 12. The Grays versus the Guardians. The Grays are a historic Negro League team, but they weren't ours. They weren't the Cleveland Grays. So I don't know if I like that one. Versus the Guardians. I like Guardians. I like the Guardian statues uh, on the Hope Memorial Bridge. I get that one. Uh, the Blue Sox versus the Blues. I don't think we need to be Blue Sox. I will be fine with Blues, though. I mean, it's it's a historic name here in Cleveland. It was one of the original names. The Blues would actually work for me. Uh, the Captains versus the Baseball Club. Do we just steal the name Captains from Lake County? The Walleye versus the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes was the Negro League team. I think it would be... Let's just let Ohio State be the Buckeyes, right? I think that tradition is pretty locked in, and I don't need to be named Walleye. And then the 2 verse 15 was the Commodores versus the Cuyahogas. Tanya, I think Spiders is going to run away with this thing. Um, Spiders or Guardians are really the two that I like in this. I don't want anything with rock and roll. We've had enough with rock and roll. Like, come on. Let's Let's just give it up, all right? So, yeah, so uh, we'll see. We'll see what comes out of this bracket. You wasted your chance. You could have been the Cleveland Whitecaps fan voters of The Athletic. You wasted your chance. So I'll keep you up to date. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I'm, gonna, I'm very interested to see how this 16-name bracket turns out.
All right, it was a lot. There was so much to cover today. I think we've made it through all the tabs that I have open. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts this spring, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So check out those episodes. I'm going to be doing weekly episodes, probably on Saturdays, covering spring training. And thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.